when it comes to being trustworthy, we're really the only ones that we treat so poorly. And you first have to forgive yourself for the past. This is the compassion we were talking about earlier. And then we need to put ourselves in positions to rebuild that trust. And if I want something to be different, I need to start doing things that are out of my comfort zone. It's scary because there's a chance that you'll fail, but odds are when you show up for yourself, you are going to prove to yourself that you are more capable than you realized. Midlife ladies. This is the Dear Midlife Podcast. Unapologetic girl talk that will help you remember who you are and figure out who in the hell you want to become. I'm Shelby Bybee, karaoke party queen, single mom, and an extrovert to a fault. And I'm Trinity Greenfield, a wild-haired woman full of sass, sparkle, and a heavy dose of black girl magic. So grab a glass and let's dive into the messy middle. Our guest today... Esther Avant shares a statistic that 80% of our inner thoughts are negative. She believes that my mind that right. Isn't that incredible? It blew my mind too. And then I started to stop and, and really assess. And if you become aware, yeah, it, it, it can feel alarming. And, and, you know, one of the things that she believes is that this is one reason that it is so difficult to take what she calls compassionate ownership of our health and of our lives. Mm, yes. Esther is a sports nutritionist, personal trainer, health and weight loss coach, and owner of EA Coaching. And I loved this conversation so much because she provides this holistic health and lifestyle coaching approach And she specializes in helping women generally over 40 reach their health and weight loss goals. But she is so much more than just a health coach. Mm -hmm. She supports the women that she works with by helping them learn and master the exercise and nutrition big rocks. And she's also able to take complex and overwhelming topics like menopause and simplifying them so that the individual feels ready, willing, and able to take meaningful action, not just in their own health, but in their lives overall. Yeah. And you know, our conversation with Esther today focuses on so much more than just the obvious aspects of exercise and nutrition and you know, instead really focuses on the less well understood components of mindset, work and lifestyle change. And we take a deep dive into the root cause of our own personal roadblocks to change. We all have them, right? And, and, and our continuous habit as women to continually show up for everyone else, everyone but who? Ourselves. Yes, baby. Damn. Mm. And oh God, I, yeah, I feel that today. Really, <laughs> I'm, really I'm feeling it today, today too. I'm like yeah. y'all working me like a dog in the middle of summer. With right, no water it's like in the my first bowl. day of summer, and I'm already like, "Damn, fucking gonna be school again." I'm worn out, <laughs> right? Sorry, sorry. Uh, this we digress. Uh, this podcast but, is gonna help you. <laughs> <laughs> Esther teaches us that we have to start. This was so powerful. Oh my God. I love this messaging. We have to start to rebuild trust with ourselves by consistently making and then fulfilling 
the small and even then larger commitments that we make to ourselves. I mean, think about this. How many times have you put something on the calendar? I'm going to work out. And then when yep. it comes time to work out, you're like, eh, I, yep. I don't have time for this today. That's because we continue to break these commitments to ourselves, And now we can't, mm. we are untrustworthy to ourselves. Mm. So powerful. But when we are able to make and keep these commitments, we prove to ourselves that we can show up we can withstand things that are difficult. We can push ourselves out of our comfort zone and we can thrive. Yes. And baby girl, you know what else we can do? We can do hard things. Yes. We have to do hard things to live the life that we aspire to. Esther believes if more women were to prioritize their health, they'd be able to use those same principles to unleash the confidence and focus they all need to leave their mark on the world. Esther and EA Coaching has helped hundreds of women realize that they're not too old. It's not too late. And they and you don't need to accept. Maybe this is just middle age, right? That's right. Right. And if you are tired of accepting the status quo. And if you are tired of accepting, this is what midlife is all about. And you want to step into your purpose and live a more fulfilled and joyful life. Come with us. Find come us on us. Facebook. <laughs> yes. Come with us. We're here. We are here and we are banding together and we are forming a community of like-minded women Find us on Facebook, join our Facebook group, and join this movement so that we can all become better and stronger together. And now, without further ado, let's welcome to the show our guest, Esther Avant. So today we welcome to the Dear Midlife Podcast, Esther Avant. Esther, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited for our conversation. I am so excited for our conversation. As I mentioned before, we really popped onto the podcast. This is a topic, the topic of women's health that I'm really, really passionate about. And one of the things that you mentioned in some of the literature that you sent to us is that you help women take compassionate ownership of their health and their life. And I just want to get an understanding of what that means to you and how exactly do you help women do that? Thank you. It's one of my favorite terms and I'd love to unpack it a bit because even though, you know, we're familiar with the words individually sure, yeah. together is a little unfamiliar. So it really is kind of twofold. The compassion piece is that most of us have a tendency to be our own toughest critics. We expect perfection from ourselves and we're really hard on ourselves when we fall short of that ideal. Mm -hmm. And what ends up happening is we get in this mental negative spiral of negative self-talk, defeatist, you know, lack of confidence, feeling like if I can't be perfect, then why bother? Mm -hmm. And we are so much harder on ourselves than we would be on any other person we care about in our lives. We would never speak to our daughters or our mothers or our friends the way we speak to ourselves. Of course. And a big piece of making lifestyle changes that stick is learning how to treat yourself with the same compassion and empathy that you would give anybody else. 
recognizing that you're an imperfect human and you're always going to be, and that that's okay. Your best is good enough. And when you slip up or make mistakes or have learning experiences, that's what they are. You just take them in stride. You learn to speak to yourself the way you would one of those other women that you love. So that's the first piece is recognizing that you can't make lasting changes from a place of hate and that trying to do so is A, not going to stick and B, is not going to change the things that you're unhappy about. You might be telling yourself when I'm 30 pounds lighter, then I'll Mm. love my body or then I'll love myself and then I'll deserve happiness or then I'll be able to find a partner because I'll be lovable. And that is not the case. Learning Mm. how to treat yourself and your body like someone and something that you love is really the key to making changes that stick. So that's the compassion piece. The ownership piece is recognizing that I am not a victim here. I am not in the passenger seat of my life. I'm not just along for the ride, going with the flow. I have control over the choices that I make. And it's my responsibility to take different actions if I want a different outcome. And what's so powerful about those two things together is that then you not only cut yourself some slack mm-hmm. and give yourself grace when you right. need it, but you also, you know, kind of boss up and show up for yourself when you need to. You recognize, like, hey, it's okay that I slipped mm-hmm. up. And also, I'm the person who gets to decide what happens next, how I respond to this, what I learn from it, where I go from here. And the reason I'm so passionate about this term is that I think it provides a really good sort of middle option where, as we're all aware, a lot of media and social media is very polarizing. You have like sort of the militant extreme ownership side of things where it's like you are responsible for everything that happens to, from, about you, like all the things like this very, you know, kind of it's all on you, Mm -hmm. which isn't necessarily untrue, but I also don't think is necessarily productive, especially for women coming from this place of perfectionism. Um, But then you have sort of the other side of that, which is almost this like very woo woo of like just manifest and just feel all the feelings. And again, not that any of that is untrue, but can leave you feeling sort of disempowered. Yeah. And I think the, the magic is in the middle where you take the the best aspects of both of those and you say, yes, I do need to feel the feelings. I do need to accept myself and, and be loving. And also I need to accept responsibility. And those two things are not uh, mutually exclusive. Right. Yeah. I love that. And I'm just sitting here smiling a little bit inside to myself because I started by saying I'm so passionate about my health, but I would qualify myself as that intense perfectionist that is capital P perfectionism. And I'll be completely frank with our listener out there. I have had probably from my early twenties through my mid to late thirties, a relatively significant eating disorder where I was so perfectionistic that I took things to that extreme level. And I am also very disciplined. So (laughs) the perfectionism and the discipline combined actually created, I think, a long-term problem or issue for me. And it took me a long time to actually come to this space and place of loving myself and loving my body. There might be a little tiny voice in the back of my head every now and then I feel like I'm there. And I think what helped me get there was just the birth of my children and knowing that I had to choose a different path and be healthy for them. But I love this idea of compassionate ownership. And I feel like it's such a great concept, but how do you help women get there and love their bodies? We are so bombarded with 
the media and with other people's judgment in addition to our own judgment of ourselves. So how do we get to this place where we can actually learn to love ourselves and shift that mindset? That's a great question. And I think the first thing to note is that it's a process like you touched on, you know, kind of, you still have that, that voice in the back of your head. We all do. And I think sometimes when we approach this stuff, we do it under sort of the assumption that at some point that'll be gone completely. I'll just Mm -hmm. erase it. And that's not the case. We talk a lot in our coaching about what progress actually looks like. And that's one of the things that not only is that voice smaller and sort of further back in your head, yeah, but you recognize it for what it is, which is Mm -hmm. just a a voice, you know, some thoughts, a a piece of your, your past, and you have the tools to know what to do about it rather than it starting off back here and getting louder and louder and louder and taking over, you have done the work to know how to manage it and not necessarily to silence it completely, but to, you know, gently call yourself out. Hey, that's not true. Or I don't want to believe that anymore. Or, you know, whatever the case may be that when you can just not take it at face value and you can sort of talk yourself down from it getting loud and taking over, that's huge. And that's a major form of progress. Another thing that's really important is to remember that we have, and this is part of the ownership, we have control over a lot of what we're exposed to on social media. Mm. And that what would benefit a lot of us is to periodically curate our social feeds. I take a lot of sort of protective action on my social media consumption. I delete the apps from my phone every day. I'll download them once a day so I can upload a story. But other than that, if they're not there, I can't find myself mindlessly scrolling. I also curate who I follow, who shows up on my feed, because I've been able to zoom out and notice the toll that it takes on my mental health. If I'm following a ton of other business owners that are similar to mine, and I start going down the comparison road of, you know, they're, they're launching this new program, or they have this many clients, or, you know, that feels bad. If I'm only following fitness people or influencers and all I'm thinking about is, you know, she has a great butt and should I get implants and should I be blonde and all those things, that feels bad, but it's on me to recognize I'm putting myself in this situation. Hmm. So going through and silencing, muting, unfollowing, blocking, whatever, the noise that is not improving your life and doing it because stuff like kind of starts sneaking back in doing it from time to time. Anytime you notice I'm feeling worse when I get off social media, do something about it. Maybe it's something like a a fast, you know, seven days, I'm not going to go on that sort of thing. Just challenging yourself to get some distance from it. I love that. And I know I've been really quiet so far in the conversation here, but I think that that for me is something that is a huge takeaway, especially the piece Esther about this mindless scrolling, right? And I think there's so much that we do every single day where we've gotten into this habit of just letting life pass us by without thinking about it, without considering it. And then we look up and that's feeding into all of these other thoughts of what I haven't accomplished in my life, who I no longer am. You know, I'm not doing anything that brings me joy. And we don't stop to think about these little teeny pieces all along the way. I'm definitely going to try this fast. So those of you in social media land expect to not see me or hear from me anymore. <laughs> I love at it. Least, at it, least for a while. It really is true. And I think the other piece I wanted to mention is the importance of who you surround yourself with. 
Mm. I know it's very cliche, you know, the saying, you're the selling with the five people you spend the most time with or whatever it is, but it really is true that those people have a big impact on us. And I love, you know, Shelby was telling me a little bit of your guys' backstory and how you met and you know, the, the origin of this podcast, being intentional about who you surround yourself with yeah. can make it so much easier to take compassionate ownership. If the other women who are around you are practicing the same habits, help yeah. you see your own wins and see the good that you're already doing it's very easy to find yourself kind of in that trap of these are my default friends. The thing that we do is watch bad reality TV, drink <laughs> wine, commiserate. Love about- is blind <laughs> is not bad reality TV. I don't care. What I, don't, I am deep in the rabbit hole, so no judgment there. Um, but, you know, it does take a toll if instead of helping lift each other up, it's just sort of this misery loves company, like, oh, we're all feeling badly about ourselves. So let's, you know, snack and drink and talk about it. Yeah. Not that you don't need it, you know, an emotional release and things like that, but it's much harder to be the first person to start making a change and take compassion and ownership than it is to be among other women who, for whom it's either the norm already or who are trying to do the same thing. If you have a friend who is, it's sort of like that external inner monologue who helps you see the good, like we know our our inner monologues generally tend to be negative. I think there's a statistic that, you know, like 80% of our thoughts are negative. Mm. So if the external thoughts around you are just a reiteration of those, that's not doing any good. But if you have those friends who are saying, you know, I'm noticing the hard work you're putting in. I mm. love to get together and meal prep together. Let's go for a walk mm. instead of do happy hour, that sort of thing. If they're helping you make positive changes, if they're helping you notice the the good that you're already doing and notice your strengths and and all the things that are that are lovable about you, it helps you shine your own spotlight on those things as well. Yeah. And it helps you believe in yourself. We talk in coaching about how a lot of our women don't believe in themselves at first. And you can borrow our belief. And if your friends, <sighs> the people that you're surrounding yourself with are already believing in you, think about how much easier it's going to be to be like, you know what? Yeah telling me over and over and over again that they think I can do this, whether it's your health or a job or a business or whatever. If the, if the voices are positive and encouraging, think about what, what a difference that makes. And from there, it's, it only gets easier to, to, to be compassionate towards yourself and then to take ownership of, okay, yeah, I, there are things that I want to change because I love myself and I want to be the best version of myself. And I know these people are going to support me through that as well. So can we pause here for a moment? Because I think this is probably the most, even more difficult than pausing social media. The idea of setting firm boundaries related to your relationships with other women, you know, and I've come to the realization that there are people in my life that are sounding boards that are healthy, that reflect back to me where I'm doing well, where I'm really fallen off the wagon that help me to create new ideas, think of new things, help me to expand. Like these are the kinds of people I feel like you're talking about. And then there are also people in my life that I like to call bitching boards. So I've got sounding boards and I've got bitching boards. (laughs) And these are the people that I go to and I give them every cuss word and I'm yelling and screaming. But I think this is where I have to be careful. Do they reflect back? with just more bitching and bemoaning of their own? Or do they reflect back in a way that 
creates a safe space for me, but then helps me to begin to shift my intention. Mm -hmm. And even on one of the practices I don't do is determine who I am on this stage of life for them. So we're talking about ferreting out who the people are that we have in our lives. Well, honey, guess what? They, they may be ferreting you out as well. <laughs> are you their sounding board or are you a bitching board? Mm. And what are you reflecting back? What am I? Let me take it here. Mm-hmm. What am I reflecting back? And to me, and I'd love your thoughts on that. It feels like I need to get super clear about the woman that I want to be in the way that I show up mm-hmm. in the lives of the women that I dearly love that's going to help me kind of set my barometer on what I pick and choose in terms of relationships in my life. Who am I going to be? And then I would like to see that reflected. I love that reflection. And you're absolutely right. I read once in some sort of self-help book about curating your advisory board. Mm, Who are the people in your life? you go to and you don't need you know one person that you go to every for everything mm-hmm. for if, sure you know, when I'm having trouble with my husband or my kids or my job or my health you know who's the person that I that I go to and, and get advice from and I love the idea of flipping that around and figuring out like well who am I to two people yeah. and I think what's so powerful is that you could change the entire dynamic of your friend group or your relationships just by, like you said, deciding who you want to be and how you want to show mm. up for them. Because one thing that really stood out to me as I developed a, a clientele and a community was that I would have back-to-back calls and every woman that I talked to would be struggling with the same thing and mm. say, I feel like the only, I'm the only one who blank. Mm. And I think that's what we tend to do is we think, you know, sure, I want to adopt new habits. I want to be drinking less. I want to be exercising more, but I don't want to be the stick in the mud. I don't want my friends to think I'm boring. I don't want them to think I'm weird. So I just kind of maintain the status quo. When in reality, odds are the majority of your friends would also love to be feeling healthier and more confident and do making some of those changes as well. So if everybody's just kind of sitting on their hands thinking like, oh, I don't want to be the first, but then you decide to take ownership and say, you know what? I don't think my behaviors are serving me or my friends. So I'm going to be the one who starts showing up differently. And it doesn't need to be this drastic shift where, you know, you chop off all your hair and diet and dress differently (laughs) and then start showing up completely differently. It can just be subtle in when you notice the conversation sort of going in that like bitch and moan direction and you start practicing, how can I empathize and be supportive and understand that like, sometimes people just want an emotional outlet and they don't. We all need to bitch and moan sometimes. Right. Right. And then also recognizing like, are there opportunities in there for me to infuse some positivity or some action or some reminders that we can bitch and moan about this all day, but if we actually want it to change, we need to do something differently. And if you decide I'm going to take kind of the leadership role and start experimenting with this, I think it could be so powerful to see how that sort of spider webs out into all the other women that you are interacting with. Mm. This is what I love about our relationship, Shelby. Yeah. It's like, you're that person that like I can bitch and moan and you will like literally come to tears with me and like, we'll go in. You're I like, come to okay. tears with everybody. You're like, oh, I go kill. Let's get the car now. I got, I got the shovels. You know, she's, she's that person, but then she's also the like, okay, well, great. 
glad you're there in your little shithole right now. What are we going to do to fix it? And she will equally kick my ass. And then we'll be like, okay, well, let's take and practice some of these things that we have learned. Let's go in and it is now time to reset our Vegas nerve. You know what I mean? It's like she will go into all of the different places with me. But at the end of the day, it's like, and, you know, it's kind of like this all purpose friend, like one of those that I can trust in all of those different areas. If I'm talking about sex and relationships, I can give her the nitty gritty. If I'm talking about work, I can give her the nitty gritty. If I'm talking about, you know, my personal foibles and follies, like literally all of that. And I, I do think it's beautiful when you can find someone that can be kind of this all purpose friend. But I do think it requires, like you said, someone that is on that path too to wanting to grow, to wanting to develop, to wanting to be better and is putting in the work as well. Yeah, no, I think you're, you're right on point. And, and Esther and I were talking a little bit before the podcast is that sometimes I feel like there are women out there that know, I know that a healthier lifestyle is going to serve me. I know that I need to eat better. I know that some of the lifestyle choices that I'm making right now are actually having maybe a negative impact on not only my own life, but my relationships with others. And sometimes what I've seen happen is that women know these things. They know that they need to change, but they're not willing to make Mm -hmm. the changes. You know, I, I think I mentioned the book Community to Change. Like, what is it, Esther, in your in your opinion, your estimation, that stops us, even though we know we need to make better choices? What do you think it is that stops women from moving forward and from making those choices? And how do we get over that? This is such a complex question. And it's one I think about a lot. You touched on one of my pet peeves, which is that almost everyone that I talk to says some variation of, I know what to do. I'm just not doing it. And- <laughs> yeah, right. I'm famous for that. Yeah, we do. (laughs) I feel like it's one of the most useless thoughts that we can have Mm. because it just feels like such a dead end that you're just like kind of throwing up your hands of like, just not doing it. Yeah. But well, like then what? So to me, the question then becomes, why aren't you? And the knee jerk reaction for most women when I ask that is some self-deprecating, I'm lazy, I'm undisciplined, I'm not motivated that sort of thing. And very, 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 very seldom is that actually the case. More often, we don't realize the complexity of issues that are at play when it comes to just maintaining the status quo. We're overlooking the fact that in the US at least, a lot of our society is very food centric. We have so many, I just moved back from Europe and I went grocery shopping for the first time and was blown away by the number of options, Mm. the bright colors, the packaging, the marketing, we are just bombarded thousands of times a day with <laughs> food things, with things that are you know technology that supports sedentary behaviors. I don't think we realize the extent to which our environments make it hard to change. And that, you know, that's kind of a whole different conversation to talk about making societal changes and, and things like that. Mm. But even on an individual level of, okay, I know what to do within me. Like, what what can I do? Why am I not doing it? I think when, when we tell ourselves something like I'm just not motivated or not disciplined, that too is sort of a a dead end. That's just like, well, it just is what it is. Can't do anything about it. It's sort of that fixed mindset that Mm. that's just how I am. That's just how the, you know, the cards were dealt. Nothing I can do. When in reality, there's so much you can do. 
And you need to be willing to peel back the layers and figure out what is it for me. And very often that takes us down roads we weren't expecting. Sometimes it's something, I wouldn't say these are surface level, but they're not, they're not too far beneath the surface. Things like time management boundary type stuff of, you know, it's just that I haven't made myself a priority. I haven't spoken up and said like, this is the time I'm going to exercise. I need 30 minutes kid free or whatever. Yeah. So sometimes it's just a matter of being better planned and sitting down and looking at your week and saying, okay, I'm going to schedule workouts like important meetings. I'm going to follow through and do them. Sometimes it's stuff like that. Sometimes it's the more emotional mental side of things where it's like, you know what, the reason I'm not doing it is because I feel like I've failed every time I've tried before. And if this time is going to be no different, why bother? It's sort of that protective mechanism of if I don't try, then I don't fail. And it's more as uncomfortable as I am right now. It's more comfortable than truly giving my best effort and risking still feeling like I've fallen short. Mm -hmm. So when you get into that stuff, like that's, that's the real work. I talk about this in coaching all the time. Most people focus on the exercise, nutrition, like what do I eat? What do I do for workouts? Of course that stuff matters, but it's the tip of the iceberg as compared to that whole iceberg underneath, which is all of this stuff that's been at play. And you just haven't realized it was there. And now that you do, now your job is to start addressing those things and realizing that as you do, as you get that stuff, you know, squared away and taken care of, it's going to make the actual showing up for yourself in terms of exercise and nutrition so much easier. Yeah. You know, it's funny. You don't know this about me, but you know, Shelby does our listeners do. I've been the most unfit human being on the planet for the majority of my adult life. I don't work out, hadn't worked out at all just because let's see, I think some of the whys really fit into this. I had tried things and failed, tried Mm. things and failed. I am a notorious start a big thing, pay for all the big plans, you know, buy all the supplements and then don't do anything with them. I'm that person all of the time of millions of dollars spent by now. Um, and I, started working out six months ago. And for the first time in my life, I'm successful with it. And my success metric or bar is probably a lot lower than most. The fact that I'm continuing to go and finishing a workout each time I go without walking out in the middle, that's like big, huge deal for me. Big, huge deal for me. And I'm still, even though I've been doing it six months, I still want to walk out most days in the middle and just choose not to. Um, And how did this start? Like, I know that somewhere in there, there was something in my brain that finally shifted. I can't get to the Mm. core of what that is, but here's what I think a lot of it was. I think it's the work that we have been doing with so many powerful women through this podcast to start Mm. shifting my mindset and saying, you know what, girl, you need to be a priority in your own life and love yourself enough to put you first, whatever that means. And then one of my very dearest friends in, in Texas, shout out, Jen, she is yeah. an Orange Theory coach. And she came up here to my house in Washington and all of us girls were sitting around the, the table and having um, drinks and all the things. And she started like really just, hey, you've got to do this. And here's why you have to do this for you. Here's what health means for you. Here's the impact it had on my grandma and what happened to my grandmother 
And we were so many drinks in that at some point I just wanted her to shut the hell up. And I was like, fine, I'll take a free class. Dear God. And it was literally to shut her up so we could just move on to more drinks. But then I went and I didn't die. I felt like I was going to die, but I didn't die. And I was so awestruck by the fact that I finished this one hour workout and I did not die. And I know that this sounds silly to you guys. But I'm honestly, that is what struck me. Oh, my God, I am not dead. I sat in my car for 30 minutes afterwards <laughs> thinking, uh, I mean, I was tired. Everything in my I body hurt. But I just was like, well, damn, I didn't die. Like, I'm still here. I bet I could do this again and not die. And if I keep doing it and I keep not dying, then that means I've got to be getting better. And six months later, I'm still like, well, damn, it, didn't die again. And it's been because of this mindset shift that, ladies, I am worth it and you are worth it. And if it's just one step, you are worth taking one step to see if that can begin to shift these things that have been inside of your heart Mm -hmm. for so long that you've been putting off or not allowing yourself to try or re-engage with because you think you're going to fail. And if you fail, that's okay. You're going to learn something new, but keep going back to the drawing board and trying because you're worth it. Yeah, that's awesome, Trinity. And I want to double click on what you said for a second. And the reason why I want to do this is because number one, Trinity is here with all of us in midlife, right? 51. 51, years old. Mm -hmm. And so I want to number one point out and give you, you know, a pat on the back and acknowledge your successes because it's never too late. And I know Esther, this is a message that you have for your clients and for our listener out there. Girl, just like Trinity did, you can start today and it is not too late. And the other thing that I love is that Trinity would show up and she'd be like, look at my muscles. Look at my muscles. <laughs> and she took that step. And it's like, once you take one step, the momentum builds because you feel so good. And it's not just you feel good in your body, but I've noticed that she's feeling good in yeah. other aspects of her life. And so Esther, I just want to bring it back to you and say, How do you help the women that you're coaching in midlife get past this mental block like Trinity used to have and and take that first step? And when you when you do, what is the first step you advise they take? Hmm. This is I have loved this exchange so much. You guys have such a great dynamic. And I feel like when Trinity, when you were kind of downplaying your, you know, my bar is so low and Shelby, you jumped in and reminded her to celebrate it. Like that's the exact dynamic you guys were talking about before. See, she's my person. Yeah. Those small things really do make a difference. And, you know, that's something that, that we do in coaching too, is like just having that person that's like, Mm. well, hang on one second. Let's go back for a second because I want to celebrate that. And it just helps you start to register those things and then start to remind yourself, like, I don't need to qualify them. I don't need to say like, oh, but my bar is lower than yours. It's a period. If you are proud of it, it's worth celebrating. And the people who support you agree wholeheartedly. Nobody else is saying like, well, I'll like give her a little golf clap, but like, it's not really worth (laughs) it. Your muscles are really not that great. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Okay. There was so much good stuff in there. And I think really the example you just gave is a perfect example of how we help clients do the same thing. So I think of it as a lot of us have over the years worked ourselves into a position where we don't have a lot of self-trust. And this happens 
in small things, in saying, I'm going to wake up early and take a walk and then mm-hmm. snoop. Mm-hmm. in saying, today's the day that I start eating better and then not doing it. It's these like small sort of paper cuts that, mm-hmm. you know, one thing individually, it doesn't matter. You don't follow through on what you say you're going to do enough times. You start to not think of yourself as trustworthy. It's very much like if you had a friend who, you know, said, I'll, I'll, I'll do this. I'll pick you up the airport. I'll do that. And then they bail on you. They're just not reputable. And we know that we would never let down anybody else in our lives. We're not going to not pick up friends at the airport. We're not going to forget our kids at school. We're not going to, you know, tell our spouse, we'll pick something up for dinner and then not do it. Mm-hmm. When it comes to being trustworthy, we're really the only ones that we treat so poorly. Wow. And as a result, we've, we've damaged that self-reputation and a big part of the work is rebuilding it and you rebuild it just like you would with any other person. You first have to forgive yourself for the past. This is the compassion we were talking about earlier. We need to say, it's okay. You're human. You're imperfect. Whatever has happened before is okay. I forgive myself. We need to wipe the slate clean. And then we need to put ourselves in positions to rebuild that trust. And that's what you did with that first Orange Theory class. It would have been easier to continue to tell your friend no or to say, yeah, 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 I'll go and then come up with excuses and bail. But you decided if I want something to be different, I need to start doing things that are out of my comfort zone. I need to risk taking this class and dying and (laughs) proving to myself that I won't. And when you put yourself in the position to try, it's scary because there's a chance that you'll fail. But as you've experienced, the, the risk of failure is much higher in our brains than it is in real life. Mm -hmm. odds are when you show up for yourself, you are going to prove to yourself that you are more capable than you realized that first class gave you evidence that you could do it. And instead of being like, Oh, that's just a one-off. I just got lucky. (laughs) You decided to let that mean I have evidence that I can do it again. Yeah. And that's really where it comes from is giving yourself the opportunity to rebuild that trust and that self-image. When I, when I say I'm going to do something, I do it. And I do it over and over and over again until I've basically written over all of those transgressions in the past. And I have just started showing up as this different version of myself who I can trust and who I can be honest with. And I know I'm going to be there for like anybody else that I care about. I've never, ever, ever thought about that dynamic of breaking trust with myself mm-hmm. and that being a root. Like this is the first time I'm hearing this and it is making so many bells and whistles and dancing girls go off inside of my brain right now. <laughs> you have no idea, but I think this is a contract that I've broken with myself so many times in so many ways, whether it was exercise or eating or making my bed or s- some of the simple things and plenty of the big things. So thank you for that. You know, I, Jen had been talking to me about this for 10 years. You guys, this is a 10 year conversation that me and one of my besties Mm -hmm. have had over and over and over. And it did start to rewrite that trust contract with that first workout and of literally not dying again, that being my very high bar that I'm proud of. Thank you. Um, and so what I said to myself is I will do this for one month. And if I continue, Mm -hmm. the literal conversation was if I continue to not die and continue to make it from workout to workout, then I will do this for another month. And Mm -hmm. I just thought of it in that way. And it did begin to rewrite the contract. And now 
I'm on autopilot with it. I love that. I love that. And you know what? Here's the thing too, I want to focus in on some of the changes that we go through in midlife that maybe make having a healthy lifestyle more imperative than ever. So as women in midlife, we're facing things like menopause and that's wreaking havoc on our body. And so Esther, can you help us understand what are some of the health issues that we face as women in midlife and why taking ownership, you know, I love the fact that Trinity is getting started now and why now is the best time ever Mm -hmm. to get started and taking ownership of your health. Great question. I will get to that in one second. There are two notes that I made that I wanted to go back to really fast. One Trinity, you just mentioned, you know, the, this, the self-contract of, and you mentioned things like making your bed. And I think that's a perfect example because we tend to focus on like the bigger things, but it really is those small things. It's not just workouts. It's not just nutrition. It's all of the things. Like if you say you're going to make your bed, or if you want to be someone who has a tidy room to walk into at the end of the day, it's those small things where does it matter if you make the bed or not? No, not really. What matters is that you said you were going to do something and you want to be the type of person who does what she says she's going to do. That's so powerful. So if you're, if you're looking for like something small, some way to get started and work on that, that self-trust. And if the exercise nutrition stuff just feels like a little bit too much or something, you know, to save for a little bit down the road, start with something like making your bed. It's the perfect example. And the other thing you mentioned earlier was that you haven't walked out of a workout. you want to, but you don't. And I wanted to touch on that because I think sometimes, again, we're, we're hard on ourselves and we sort of idolize or put on a pedestal, you know, your friend, Jen, who's the coach. Mm-hmm. Oh, she must always love doing the workouts. She's enjoying every minute of it. You know, nobody mm-hmm. but me wants to walk out. There's something wrong with me because I don't like it even after six months. And as somebody who's been working out for two decades, I can tell you very seldom do I want to do the thing. Mm. And quite often would I like to stop in the middle and what you've done. And now for six months, you've proven to yourself, I can experience the feelings of discomfort of wanting to stop and I can be stronger than them. And I'm building up this resilience, this mental resilience to prove to myself, I am not someone who quits. And mm. like Shelby mentioned, seeing the impact that this health journey is having on the rest of your life, that's what it does for you. Yes. The health yeah. stuff is amazing. But also to have those experiences to recall and to say, I put myself in difficult positions and I survive them makes you so much better equipped to then apply that to other areas of your life and say, yeah, it's going to be uncomfortable for me to start a business or for me to go after a promotion or for me to speak up in this meeting. But I can do Mm -hmm. hard things because I do it all the time in my workouts and I'm not someone who quits or backs away from this challenge. And I think that's where taking ownership of your health really benefits you in kind of an overarching way. That's a good word. Preach okay, sister. So, no, there's my, there's my follow-up rants. Um, <laughs> okay. So yeah, menopause is a, uh, a monkey wrench for sure. A bitch. She's a bitch. Yeah, yeah, Let's yeah. call her what she is. A bitch. A hairy, crazy bitch. With a hairy, crazy bitch. <laughs> Yes. And there are literally dozens of symptoms that we experience that a lot of us don't make the connections to Mm. menopause. I pulled up a a PDF we've created for our clients because we have most of our clients are are perimenopausal and some of them, you would never make the connection, bleeding gums, burning tongue, things like Mm. that, that like who would have thought there's a very sort of 
kind of standard ones of, you know, hot flashes, trouble sleeping, mood changes, yeah. night sweats, that sort of thing. But the the symptoms can really be like wide, wide reaching. Yeah. Who knew? And that I feel like can be really defeating, just feeling like my body's undergoing all of these changes and it can make you feel powerless, especially when you talk to your doctor and more often than not get some sort of like, yep, welcome to midlife. This is just what it's like. Right. And it's so dismissive and it's so defeating that you walk out and you're like, so this is it. This is what I can expect for forever. That's unacceptable. And what's fascinating to me as I was researching menopause for, for our own clients is that even among OBGYNs who you would think are the most likely to be helpful when it comes to menopause, only 20% of them receive menopausal training. So you can imagine that there is a much lower statistic among, you know, general practitioners and things like that. So the fact that this is something that literally every woman experiences, and, and that's the good news. My mom, we were talking earlier about losing our moms and, you know, I lost my mom Mm. young and something she always used to say was getting old is the good news. And Mm. I truly believe that. I know, you know, middle age and and old age comes with its own set of challenges, but they beat the alternative. Yes. So Mm. we need to focus on what we can control. And that just, just that ownership is so empowering and helps get you out of that sort of hole of, I'm a sweaty, hormonal, hairy, you know, mess. (laughs) All All the things. And start focusing on what can I actually do about it? there's sort of this, this line to toe of where do I practice acceptance and where do I focus on taking action and creating change? So, you know, I think one of the, one of the biggest challenges with menopause is the effect on sleep because sleep makes literally everything else easier and better. When you're not sleeping well, you're hungrier, you're less easily satiated, you're more likely to skip your workouts, you're going to rely on caffeine, you're probably going to use wine to wind down at the end of the day. It's just this cascade effect Mm -hmm. of of poor sleep. So I think one of the best first steps can be improving sleep habits and discussing with your doctors, you know, what are the, the treatment options available to me, whether it's hormone therapy, whether it's adaptogens, vitamins and minerals, other lifestyle, you know, kind of medicine advocating for yourself, I think is so incredibly important. And that's something that we try to help clients do is we have kind of this whole um, symptom and supplement guide where you can start checking off. Okay. This is how often I'm experiencing these things. These are, you know, I'm, I'm tracking my cycle. I'm tracking my symptoms. I'm coming armed with this information and the questions to ask to help figure out what can I do and, you know, figuring out what of the treatment options, you know, what are the symptoms and side effects and and risks? What are the benefits? How soon would they start working? What would they help me do? Would I have to be on them forever? You know, what does that look like? If we're not going to just receive the information that we need, then it's on us to take control and advocate for ourselves and say, these are the questions that I have. This is what I want to know about. This is what I'm experiencing. And I'm going to pester you or whomever I need to until I get some help and I get some some answers and I get some relief. Mm. I think that's such an important message because too often we look to our doctors as being the experts. And so when they say this 